I meant to uh, recognize families. And so, uh, Kenley's family, the Penners, if y'all would stand, all the generations. Some of them are leaving even now. Thank you for coming. Yes. The Penners. And uh, Buster, that's fine. If you don't want to stand up, that's fine. I'll, I'll call you out, though. Uh, the Litton crew, if y'all would stand. Y'all stand. Thank y'all. And um, it's always important, uh, I think, to recognize families, and I meant to do that. And when I sat down in the front pew, I went, oh, forgot to introduce the families. Um, my family, y'all don't have to stand right now, but uh, my dad is here today, so um, uh, glad that he is here. And I know I look around the auditorium and I realize that a number of y'all also have family members that are here, so uh, we're glad that you are here with us today uh, the kingdom of God hmm. it's not something we think about because we cannot see where God rules but the reality in this very moment is that there is a kingdom in heaven and God sits on the throne. And God is sovereign over all. He, he is not just a king. The God who sits on the throne in heaven is the king of kings. And he is the one who created this world. And y'all know in the second chapter of the Bible, though, this world went into rebellion against God. And so God started the process of redemption in bringing the world back to himself. The ultimate step that God took to bring us back to Him was sending the Savior, His Son, Jesus Christ. Think about this with me. Jesus left the kingdom of heaven and He came to this earth, the place that was in rebellion against God, and Jesus is born of a virgin, is raised, and when He is 30 years of age... Jesus begins his ministry. Do you remember in the gospel accounts what Jesus' message was when he started his ministry? Jesus' simple message in these words, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is, or the kingdom of God or heaven is at hand. I don't know what you think about when you hear that phrase, the kingdom of God is at hand. But the phrase that comes to my mind, if we were to put it just in the vernacular of our day, Jesus was saying, God is coming to take over. He's coming to take over. In fact, that's why the Son came. He was coming to take back what was His. God came to take over. That's what it means. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, we talk about His rule. His sovereignty, His power, that He is over all. And this world is living in rebellion against Him. And God said, I sent my Son that I might come and I might take over. I might take back what was mine. Hmm. In fact, what did Jesus teach His followers to pray? Your kingdom come. Or, I'm sorry, He said, <laughs> my followers don't know 
your kingdom come. <laughs> Let it be on earth as it is in heaven. I'm sorry, I was just trying to go through the scriptures in my head. I still butchered it. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sorry, just had a moment there. Let it be on earth as it is in heaven. God, you are sovereign over all. You reign. You are on the throne. There is no question who is in charge. May it be on your earth that you created in the same way it is in heaven. And so he sent his son. And God's plan was that he would conquer, occupy, and control. Conquer, occupy, and control. And for many of us in this room, when we heard the gospel message at some point in our life, our hearts were drawn to him and what did we do? We, we surrendered the sovereignty of our life because our hearts were in rebellion against Him. We were part of the rebellion. I chose. I'm, I don't want to live under His kingdom, His rules. I want to do my own thing. But there came a point when I heard the gospel message from many of us in this room that I surrendered my heart and I said, I can't make it without Him. And so I will surrender the sovereignty of my life and I will step off of the throne of my heart and I will let Jesus step and sit and reign in my heart. And you know what we became? We became a part of a movement for God to take over this world, to take the world back for Himself. We became a part of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. We became citizens of that kingdom. And we will spend our years living out that reality. Living as a citizen of the kingdom of God while we live on this earth. Someday, when we die, He will take us to the capital city, heaven itself. And the Bible says that we will live with Him forever and ever and ever. In the first century, the Roman Empire was the kingdom. And they also, as I have described, had conquered, occupied, and controlled much of the ancient world. Probably most of us are not versed in the history of the first century in which Jesus came and the early church grew. Uh, but the Roman Empire was not so much a country as we think of a country today. It was a, Rome was a city-state. In fact, it's, it's named for the city, Rome. And there was a Caesar there. In fact, what the citizens were called to say was that Caesar is Lord. They had surrendered their sovereignty to Caesar, who was considered a god. And so Rome was this city-state, and they were very powerful militarily, and they had gone and they had conquered and occupied and controlled much of the ancient world. And they would go in and enforce their will, 
And they, they, did it, they did it in Palestine. Palestine, sorry. I'm having a morning this morning. Not the city in East Texas, the country over across the sea. Palestine. And they, they took over. And they controlled it. They, were, they occupied it. There were military forces that were there. And there's stories in the Bible that we hear of this. They, they ruled over it. And they would allow those people in those countries to have a certain amount of freedom and could do their things to a point. But then they would enforce their will. They, they conquered, occupied, and controlled many places. There were exceptions to that, though, which brings us to this morning. Philippi was, the city of Philippi was a Roman colony. It was different than the places that the Romans went in and just conquered and occupied and controlled. Uh, in fact, the Caesars would set up these colonies and they would um, allow the retired military to go in there and stay there. It was a part of their pension plan. They were Roman colonies and they were scattered across the empire. And as I described weeks ago when we started this series that um, these colonies mimicked the culture of Rome, they were little Romes. And if you were here for that sermon, I talked about, I mean, you can go to New York City, which about 50 of our people are there right now, having church, I'm sure. The high steppers are all there. Uh, you can go to Little Italy in New York City. You can go to Chinatown in San Francisco. We can, some of us have been to West Philadelphia and we've, there's a little West Africa there on Woodland Avenue. Uh, in fact, I mean, they dress West African. They have the same food. They're selling the same stuff in their store that they sell over there. It's, it's a little... So Philippi was a little Rome. And what I mean by that, they, they mimicked the culture of Rome, even though Rome was hundreds of miles away. They dressed like the Romans. They spoke Latin, which was the Roman language. I'm sure they ate Roman food. I don't know. It was Italy. Maybe it's pizzas and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Architecture. They built their buildings to look like Rome. They had a Roman form of government. Their customs and their religion, their holidays and their gods were Roman. They were a little Rome. They mimicked that culture. And the people in Philippi were, were Roman citizens. So think about this. When the army came in and took over Palestine, they still became... The, the Jewish people were still citizens of Israel in their particular country. But in the colonies, those people were Roman citizens. It's, it's as if, uh, um, I don't know, someplace overseas that the United States took over and formed a colony and those people were, 
were American citizens. Let me, let me just tell you, one of the places we know in Guinea is the U.S. Embassy. And I don't mean to frighten anybody here, but if it breaks out, <laughs> you better know how to find your way to the U.S. Embassy. Uh, I've been one time to the U.S. Embassy in Paris. Now, the men out front weren't very friendly because I'm just thinking up. I'm like pulling out my passport like, I'm an American citizen. Like they're going, hey, bro, Daryl. Yeah, how you doing, man? Good to see you in Paris. Man. Welcome here. What can we do for you? Got like, mm, step back, sir. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Hey, no, that's cool, that's cool. They didn't really care. They were actually French soldiers that were doing security outside the U.S. Embassy. I'm just thinking I'm going to roll up on the U.S. Embassy and there's going to be like confetti fall and flags come out. You know, the, the ambassador come out and, Greetings, greetings, not so. Now, once we got inside the embassy, it was like, oh, wow, no, these are my people. <laughs> and it was like, okay, what can we help you with? And uh, it was kind of like a little America. It's, it's a little, it was a little colony. Philippi was, a, I've painted this picture. There's, there's, there's a point here. Philippi was... A little Rome. Paul, interestingly enough, even though he was a Jew, was a Roman citizen. This is very significant. Paul was a Roman citizen. He was a Roman citizen by birth, which tells us that Paul's father was a Roman. And when Paul was born to a Roman, a man who had Roman citizenship, Paul became a citizen of Rome, even though he didn't live in Rome. And he had rights and privileges as a citizen of Rome because he had been born that way. There are times in Luke's account of the early church in Acts that Paul pulls out his passport and says, Boom! I'm a Roman. One of these in in Acts 22. Let me go through these quickly. Acts 22, uh, verse 24. He's arrested in, in Jerusalem... And it says, And the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks uh, and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they, should, they shouted so against him. And as they bound him with tongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? Hmm. When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do. This man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, Yes. And the commander answered, With a large sum I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, But I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him and the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. As a Roman citizen, Paul, regardless of wherever he was in the empire, had uh, the right and privilege to do process. Not so if he hadn't been a citizen, but he was a citizen. You see, as a citizen of any country, we have certain rights and privileges as a part of being a citizen. The Romans took this citizenship very seriously. In fact, when we read the story of Philippi and Paul's taking the gospel there in Acts 16, hmm, Paul goes 
He doesn't find a synagogue, but he finds some women praying by the river. One of those ladies' name is Lydia, and as Paul presents the gospel, Lydia's heart is opened, and she becomes a believer in her household. And Paul and Silas go and stay at Lydia's house, and every day they're coming out to the river. And there's a demon-possessed girl who is agitating Paul and Silas every day as they're coming back and forth. And finally, she was a slave girl that made her master's money by telling fortunes. And one day, Paul became peeved, and he said, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And she was delivered of the demon, and the and her masters discovered that they could not use her for the purpose they had used her for. She wasn't good any, and they got mad. And they brought them, and it says in, in Acts 16, 20, and they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. Here it is. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Part of being a Roman and part of being a Roman in Philippi is that you were going to perpetuate the customs and the practices of what it meant to be a Roman. And so when your children were born, they're born in this, this pagan or culture that's different than Roman culture, but they, they say, no, you are a Roman citizen, so we're going to dress this way and we're going to eat this way, and these are the things that we believe in, these are the gods that we serve, and this is, the, this is our culture. And you had to raise that child in the culture because they were, there were other people out in the culture that were not like them, but they were to be distinct. And so these people were saying, no, these... And they didn't know that Paul was a Roman. He hadn't pulled out his passport at this point. But they were, they were responsible, responsible for perpetuating the Roman culture and teaching their children. Here's the reality. Most of them had never been to Rome. In fact, I got out my little atlas today, or the other day. Whoop, got my little piece of paper. How far is that? As the crow flies from Philippi, even though it was a Roman colony, 700 miles to Rome. One of my commentators, when he was talking about Epaphroditus taking the letter, said it would have taken him 40 days of travel to get there. That's as the crow flies. It's not that there was a road. In fact, the Adriatic Sea's in between them. You had to go around the Adriatic Sea, either take a boat. I don't know how they went to Rome. It was a long ways. My sense is none of the most of these people in Philippi, even though they were Roman citizens, had never been to Rome. They'd never seen it with their eyes. They'd only heard the stories. But they perpetuated the Roman culture. It's interesting, at the end of the story of Paul at Philippi, after they had thrown him in jail, they had beaten him and Silas. And you know the story of at midnight they're praising God and the earthquake comes and God uses that for the Philippian jailer to be saved in his household and they're taken to the Philippian jailer's house and they bandage their wombs and they baptize uh, the jailer in his house and then they're returned to jail. And this is what it says at the end of the story in Acts 16. And when it was day... The magistrates sent the officers saying, let these men go. It's kind of like, ah, we beat them, we threw them in jail at night, and they'll sober, sober up and they'll understand what they need to do. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. Hmm. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. 
Hmm. And now, do they put us out secretly? In my family, we would call this the spirit of Daryl Smith, just kind of welled up a little sarcastic and a little, oh, oh, now you just want us to go quietly, huh? You forgot to ask whether I was a Roman citizen or not. Hmm. Now who's got egg on their face, whatever that means? No, indeed, let them come themselves and get us out. Send them here. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they they encouraged them and departed. Paul pulls out his citizenship because citizenship has certain rights and privileges. And so we come to our verses in the book of Philippians this morning. As Paul is in Rome. The reason he's in Rome in prison is because they were about to kill him in Palestine. And he said, I'm a Roman citizen and I, I appeal to Caesar. And so there's a whole chapters of Paul getting to Rome. Paul is in prison in Rome. Rome, the city-state, Philippi, the colony. Now, let me just assure you, even though I'm reading my scripture right now, I know we're having chili at noon. I really do. I don't have a lot to say from here, but I had for you to see the context of what Paul is about to say. And so in Philippians 3, Paul says, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. And here it is in verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven. From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. When Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven, the Philippians knew exactly what he was talking about. We are part of a kingdom that we cannot see, have never been to, But there are certain, it dictates the way that we live and what we believe. They were citizens of Rome as a colony in Philippi. And Paul reminds the Philippians, who may have been Roman citizens or not, that our citizens as followers of Jesus Christ, redeemed by the blood, having surrendered the the sovereignty of our heart to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, 
Our citizenship is not here on earth. Our citizenship is in a kingdom that we've never even seen. But we believe that God, the Lord of Lords, reigns and sits on the throne. What occurs to me today is that we have also been born into His kingdom. Paul says we are citizens of heaven. It is a city. It is a city-state. It is the kingdom of all kingdoms. And our king sits on the throne. And he is sovereign over all. And we become a part of that kingdom through a birth. A new birth as Jesus described to Nicodemus when he said you must be born again. It is what I described as us surrendering the sovereignty of our heart. And even though it is not a place that we have ever been, someday we will be taken there. And we will live there forever and ever. And as a part of the kingdom, there are certain rights and privileges we have of being a citizen of the king in our Christian life. And someday, what Paul describes in verse 20 and the end of verse 21, is someday, when our journey on this earth is finished, the Savior will come for us. And He will take us unto Himself, as He says in John 14. That where He is, there we may be also with Him. And not only will He take us to a different location, will He transfer us, but He will also transform us. John says in 1 John 3, 2, that it is, we do not know what we will be like, but we know that we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. We don't know what our bodies are going to be like, but we know that we will be like Him. And so not only will our location be transferred, but our bodies will be transformed into a heavenly body that will spend all of eternity in that kingdom of all kingdoms. And God will do all of that by His resurrection power as He describes in verse 21. The reason Paul says all of that is because in verse 15 he says to us in the here and now as we live in this earthly kingdom, live, this is it, live like you are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. His point is, no, no, do not act like you are a citizen of, of this earth, but you are to live your life on this earth as if you were a citizen of heaven, of which you are. And that's why he says in verse 17, Brethren, join in following my example. What was he saying? He was saying the same thing the Roman parents said to their children in Philippi. I know you see a lot of other kids and the way that they live, but you are a Roman. So we're going to dress this way. We're going to eat this way. We're going to talk this way. These are going to be our customs, our culture, our holidays, our religion. All of that is a part of what it means, child, to be a Roman. Regardless of what you see everybody else doing, we are a Roman colony. We are Roman citizens. What, Mom and Daddy, what does that look like? Just watch me. And I will teach you. And Paul says to the Philippians, 
Join in following my example. If you want to know what it looks like to live as a citizen of the heavenly kingdom, just watch me. It's, it's the way I walk. It's the way I talk. It's the way I, I do my business. It's all of that. It, it's not what everybody else is doing, but that's all right. You just follow me. And so Paul said, follow my example. And he said, also, note those who so walk. There's others that are walking, living the same life. Just, just watch them. And he says, as you have us for a pattern. Now, he also says in verse 18 and 19, he said, there are those who claim to be citizens of that kingdom, but their lives do not demonstrate that. They're living like everybody else. So he says in verse 18, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose end is destruction whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. They say that they are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, but they live like everybody on earth. And so Paul says not only watch those who walk according to their citizenship in heaven, but also watch those who claim to be Christians, but do not walk the walk. Live like a citizen of heaven. In fact, when, when Paul says in verse 17, join in following my example, literally that Greek word example is the word mimic. It's the word mimic. Follow my mimic. You just, just mimic me. And you know the reality is in, in our Christian life, we need visible or visual examples. We need people who are walking the walk and talking the talk. We need models to follow. Because we live in a world that most of our examples are not walking that walk. And Paul says, just watch. And see who's living it as a citizen of heaven and live it out. Hmm. What occurs to me in our study in Philippians that one of the primary things that Paul had modeled was joy. Shouldn't surprise us because one of the, if not the most obvious characteristic of heaven and its environment is joy. Invariably when Jesus talked about heaven, he talked about the joy in that place. Now think about this with me. If you're a citizen of that place, and that place is characterized by joy, what should be one of the things as you're here on earth that is demonstrated in your life as a citizen of that kingdom? Joy. C.S. Lewis said, and I quoted this in the first sermon in Philippians, C.S. Lewis says, joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is what characterizes heaven and its environment, it is a place of joy. And so my point, I know my little, my little order here to my sermons is a little convoluted this morning. Here's my point. Sometimes I give you my point first. This morning I'm giving you my point last. Is that joy 
is a matter of a heavenly perspective. I believe that's what Paul is teaching. That's behind his words when he says our citizenship is in heaven. He says if you will live with that perspective, the perspective of heaven, and what is that? That we have a God who sits on the throne and reigns. And we look so many times for our happiness in this world at the circumstances of this earth. But Paul would say, you're not a citizen of this earth. You're a citizen of heaven. And you have surrendered your heart to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you have privileges and rights as a citizen. You can, you can pull out your passport any time and say, I'm a child of the king. You tell the enemy, no, uh-uh, I'm not buying it. You can't have that. That's not yours. You don't have authority over that. Do you remember what Jesus said when he was leaving before he gave the, his disciples the Great Commission? He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. When we go, we go in the power and the right and the authority of Jesus Christ, the Son. And, you know, many times we get bogged down in life. Do you know why? Because we have lost our perspective of where we are a citizen. And we've adopted hmm, the dress and the language and the food. And I don't, I don't know if all, we shouldn't talk about food. Should we have about to have chili? No, scratch that. No food. Customs, culture of the world in which we live. And we look more like the world than we look. We look more like a citizen of earth than we do a citizen of heaven. Joy is a matter of a heavenly perspective. If we are a citizen of heaven and we are living that out, one of the primary indicators will be joy. Hmm. You can use it as a barometer in your life today. And quite honestly, if there is not joy in your life, the only conclusion we can come to is you or I are not living as a citizen of a kingdom. And why is that? Because we've lost our perspective of where we're from and who we serve and whose we are. And so Paul can write in Philippians 16 times about joy and rejoice. He's in prison facing death. Hmm. Following God. Hmm. This is not a happy clappy story. It doesn't sound like it's going to end real well for Paul. And it didn't. It was a number of years after this. How can Paul then write from Rome to the Philippians and say rejoice in the Lord always? And again I say rejoice. And it doesn't hurt me to keep reminding you of this. Rejoice. Because we evaluate Paul's life from an earthly perspective and we say it's not very good for Paul. But Paul said my citizenship is in heaven and everything's looking a lot better today than I thought. (laughs) Because the king is still on the throne. And he has, he has bought my life with the blood of Jesus Christ. And if the world does the one thing to me that they say, oh, well, give me the recant, they kill me. It's just gain for me. If you went to Jimmy Lofton's funeral this week, Brother David, merit. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Brother Jimmy, 
somehow knew that. I told Melinda, I said, I hope I have as much faith as he demonstrated at the end of his life. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. If the world does the one thing to me that they say, oh, well, get me to turn from Christ, it'll be the very thing that ushers me into the capital city of where I'm a citizen, heaven. I would say to you, if you take inventory of your life today and you don't see the joy, then first there's something wrong. And secondly, what I'm going to tell you is that joy is a matter of a heavenly perspective. You've lost your perspective. Your eyes, as Paul said, are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. If you would stand with me this morning. As Brother Shane comes, I want to pray. The altar is open this morning. Byron and I will be at the front. I don't know, maybe it's a matter in the midst of your life. And it's, 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 it's very applicable to this week of Thanksgiving. Maybe you've lost your perspective. And my life on earth may be good, it may be bad for you. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God still sits on the throne and still in control. And so, Father, today I pray that as we surrender our hearts to you anew. And, Father, maybe even if we repent of saying, you know what, I've set my, I've set my mind and my eyes on the things of this world. And Father, I pray today that as we take that step and as we surrender our hearts anew, that you'd give us a fresh perspective of eternity today in heaven and of a kingdom that will never be shaken will never be destroyed and will never end and so remind us who we are whose we are that our lives are in your hand and no one will ever snatch us out and Father I pray that you'd help us to live in joy in the midst of the world and our world would look at us and would realize that we are not from here Father, I pray that you do a work in our hearts today and in this season. We pray in the name of Jesus.